freshly prepared for your order. Redeemable at select shops for a limited time on app or online orders. Extras additional. One use plus tax. No additional discounts. Who crushed it? Who didn't? Breaking down the action after every game. The Kintec Footwear and Orthotics Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. CISL 650 acknowledges that we are on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Sailwithtooth nations. Sportsnet 650 is the official home of the Vancouver Canucks. Canuck Central Thursday, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We are a presentation of Grip Auto and Tire. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Canucks coming off a 3-1 victory over the Colorado Avalanche. They'll have the Minnesota Wilds later tonight, and you'll be able to hear the pregame show. But, Sat, that was, I mean... Even after doing the post-game show, re-watching the game again, that had to be the most complete performance the Canucks put together this season. Am I, am I over the top with that assessment? I don't know if you're over the top. I'd say that it's close, right? I mean, that was one of their better performances. I mean, JT Miller called it their most ballsy performance of the season. I mean, they've had some other good games too, right? If we go back and, and look at it, I'm sure if we start combing through the season, especially since Bruce took over, we can find a handful of games that were similar to this. But that's what it is, a handful of games that are complete to this way. And considering the degree of difficulty against the Avalanche, you give them full credit, right? And, I mean, hey, were the Avs maybe not as hungry as they usually are? Maybe to some extent. But I think the Canucks were just really dogged in their puck pursuit all night. And when they play that way, max out their effort, yeah, I mean, that's the type of performances we want to see more steadily from them. It's uh, the kind of performance that gets you uh, hoping again for the continued push for the playoffs. Still need a lot more performances like that if they're going to get there. One thing that has definitely developed lately, Sat, is Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. Now, throw this season, whatever else happens for the rest of this year, but thinking long term, like these guys have made a significant development in each of their games this year to show that they can not just be placed on the penalty kill, but also that they can excel in that role. I mean, you look at Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes ever since they've been put on the penalty kill. And, you know, Quinn is he's kind of inching up there in penalty kill minutes. And, you know, considering he didn't play there at all, the fact that he's played over 64 minutes on the PK kind of shows you his growing role in that. But Elias Pettersson has spent almost 27 minutes on the penalty kill so far this season. And no other player who's played at least 20 minutes or more has better differentials on the penalty kill than Elias Pettersson. You can make the case that during this stretch when he's played on the PK, he's been the best penalty killer as a forward. Which is kind of crazy. Um, It's pretty nuts. Now, small sample, but regardless, it's about can he do it on the PK? He's showing he can. So what what about Pedersen's game it works on the penalty kill? You know, we we used to talk about this as a you know, is it a possibility? You'd like to try it? Is it something you do in in only certain situations? You want to protect players away from having to shot block especially your best players. But I get all that. 
at the same time, with the way that it's working and how good he looks on the penalty kill, it's hard to turn away from it now that you've seen it. But what is it about his game specifically that does work on the PK? I think there are a few things. I mean, and, and you know how we talk about Elias Pettersson having a really long stick? And hey, sometimes for an offensive player, that can get in your way a little bit. When you're playing defensively on the PK, that comes in handy. And how many times do we see him deflect pucks and get get into pucks and find a way to kind of break things up and, you know, turn the puck up the other way. But the chief thing I see from him that I'm most impressed by is just his sheer intelligence on the ice. He's a smart player. He understands what the offensive players are doing. And it took me back to something Bruce Boudreaux mentioned early on when he made Elias Pettersson into a penalty killer. And he said, yeah, some of these guys don't may, may traditionally not have the makeup to block shots. They don't know how to play on the PK in, in, a, in that sort of a way. But what they can do is use their intelligence, knowing what offensive players do, anticipating the play and breaking things up and, and just being effective in different ways. And that's exactly what we're seeing from Pedersen. And he's also creating offense from yep. the PK as well. I think the biggest thing for me is, is aggressiveness, uh, his ability to read the play and then, you know, uh, jump the route as uh, a great cornerback would uh, in the NFL. We've seen him do that a couple of times. He's able to poke the puck free and then chase it down for partial breakaways, whatever it may be. We've seen him do that. So I'm do that last night in the, almost between the legs breakaway goal that he had it's it's just an ability to understand what is going to happen what the Mm -hmm. offense wants to do being able to read that and he also has the speed the burst and the length sometimes to be able to get into those passing lanes it's it's clearly worked Uh, and I think it's something you know you want to continue to develop for this team because they need to find penalty killers. You don't necessarily want to do it all the time, but until you find better options, do you really have a choice other than to continue using Elias Pettersson on the PK? Not only do you, do I think you have to use him right now in the short term, but what is keeping you from using him long-term? He worried about him getting injured, but how many top players do we see be able to kill penalties, right? And part of me was, okay, do I want to use Pedersen on the PK because he can pro- provide so much more on the power play and use him five on five? And hey, you don't want to tire him out. And maybe there is a diminishing return if he's only an average penalty killer. So what's the point of risking it anyways? But if he can be a penalty killing ace, why would you not use him more on the PK? And I can understand maybe not having on the first unit and and playing him, you know, four or five minutes a game on the PK if you're taking lots of penalties. But if he's going to be a good penalty killer with a capital G, why would you not want to use him? Yeah, you should. Um, I I think this is a a potential development to seeing Pedersen become, you know, one of the better centermen in the league as we... You know, some of us forgot he was a couple of years ago when he really had the breakout season through his rookie and sophomore years. But this is one of those developments that could make him a great centerman in the league, an elite centerman in the league, a top 10 guy. It's not always about um, being the guy that can generate the most offense. And I know you've made this point before, Sat, but maybe he doesn't end up getting... 100 100 points in a year, and he doesn't necessarily contend for an Art Ross, but can he be, uh, you know, a very 
valuable two-way centerman in the Ryan O'Reilly mold or uh, you know what the gold standard is, Patrice Bergeron. Uh, yeah. It's going to be tough to be that good as it is for anybody because Patrice Bergeron is as much of a unicorn as anybody else's in the NHL. But just on the sheer idea of, hey, maybe you're around a point a game at 80 points, but also being one of the better defensive centermen in the league. Well, and that's one of the things, you know, I know we talked so much about Pedersen, too, from the struggles earlier this season, but one thing he wasn't providing earlier out alongside the offense not being there was his two-way profile wasn't what it used to be, right? And you, he just wasn't as engaged, it seemed like. Now, now looking back at it with his injury and that tentativeness he had, I think that explains a lot of his struggles earlier this year because he's a completely different player when he's moving, when he's engaged, when he's pressing. And like last night, for instance, the two best forwards, just from watching them, and I don't even care about the number, just from like all-out effort and you know winning battles, was Elias Patterson and Tanner Pearson. I don't think Tanner Pearson gets talked My about. Guy. W- yeah, he's your guy. But last night, man, especially that empty net goal, right? And we'll talk more about that later. I mean, he's the one that wins a battle in his own zone to get the puck out that leads to that clincher, right? And he had a number of moments in that game when he was doing things like that. And he was also, you know, creating turnovers. He was on it really well all game. The only player that was better was Pedersen last night. And the back checks, he had a number of them. The one on the PK comes back and takes the puck away from McCarr after, after Pearson broke his stick and had to go off for the change on that on that play. And then he comes back and, and knocks a bunch of pucks away at the blue line. He was tremendous last night. He was stunting the break-in at times. He was creating problems for Avalanche breaking out of their own zone. And the goal, the first goal of the game happens because of his dogged puck pursuit. Wins a battle along the boards, gets the puck over to, to Besser in the slot, and that offense gets generated. That was a classic example of defense generating offense yeah it's uh it's been impressive from tanner pearson lately and the canucks are going to need more of that from their forward group no doubt and especially elias Pettersson. uh you know it, i know he's going through something right now with the uh the injury but uh he played his best game since uh missing those two against uh tampa bay during that uh homestand tampa bay and new jersey so on Quinn Hughes, you know, he's been a big factor on the penalty kill. It's been a mm-hmm. huge development of his game, how much he has improved defensively. Uh, you know, there's several shifts last night where you see him falling or following around Nathan McKinnon. And, you know, usually Nathan McKinnon is able to pull away with a couple of steps because he's just that quick and he's got that much burst. But he didn't find it as easy to do that when Quinn Hughes was the one checking him. You know, I, I think these are the traits that we expected to see develop for Quinn Hughes that kind of allow him to overcome the mm-hmm. big question mark, which has always been size for Hughes. But he's just such a good skater that it allows him to overcome those disadvantages. Not only is he a good skater, but also just his overall intelligence, right? And, you know, one thing that's becoming very evident is the amount of pride he's taking in being better defensively. And at five on five, at times it can still be a, you know, relatively high event game when Hughes is out there, but they do generate a lot of offense. But just from in-zone defending, I see Hughes has improved a lot. He still has ways to go from in-zone defending to, to me, for him, to me to say, okay, he's gone to become a plus defender. He's a guy that now can, you know, hold his own defensively. But on the PK, I mean, Quinn's been incredible on the PK. Again, looking at the at the differentials here for penalty killers, and yes, it's 62 minutes, but a guy like OEL has played twice as much on the PK, right? And it's halfway through the season. Quinn Hughes got into it, but he's been playing more and more. No Canuck defenseman has better differentials than Quinn Hughes on the PK. 
It's almost as if good players excel no matter what position you put them in, <laughs> as long as they work hard and they care. And he clearly cares, right? Trust your talented players to figure it out, right? Um, and it's absurd. Like, I mean, you know, people say, oh, these guys can't kill penalties or whatever. They literally can. And I know the sample isn't massive yet, but just looking at what they've done in this short period of time, and you look at how the Canucks penalty kill has gone from being horrible to just, just league average bad to normal year bad to like being average all of a sudden. Like the PK over the past like 10, 15, games has been average and that is such a cry for being historically bad at the start of the season they've a lot been, of that coincides with Pedersen and Hughes man they've been so much better and, and even last night okay you give up one goal but they, they gave up they had five power plays some of those were really soft calls too uh that the mm-hmm. Avs were given and you know you hold the the Avs to 20 percent uh, you, you're kind of like all right we'll we'll, we'll take that uh, on a given night and you know they they hold them off the score sheet at even strength, which is something the Canucks have been able to do quite a bit this year, but it's always been the penalty kill that just continuously seems to run them down. And I think these like preconceived notions of Quinn Hughes are starting to get out of hand. You know, yesterday on the podcast, you can go back and listen to it. We talked about which Canucks players had the most to prove. And Somebody in my mentions uh, on Twitter at Dan Rachel underscore and at Sat Shaw came in and yeah they're probably just trolling but there's you know still quite a few people that always seem to come around looking for a way to bash Quinn Hughes and you know these messages were getting over the top like uh, you know yeah Quinn Hughes isn't even an NHL player and uh, <laughs> he's he's the highest paid Canuck and he's not worth yeah. it uh, OEL is better um, it, it just absolute lunacy to to hear these types of comments around Quinn Hughes because he's not the one-way offensive defenseman that uh, maybe he started to become a little bit uh, victim of narrative last season and I like he wasn't good enough last season there was a lot of adjusting he needed to do with with Chris Tanev out of the lineup and it took him some time and he really dedicated himself to getting better defensively in the off season. And he has like, he's become so much better defensively mm-hmm. in, in the, the space of 12 months and you see it in each and every game. But I think now the question is just how good has Quinn Hughes's season been? Like we're seeing yeah. some really incredible performances from D men this year sat and I wonder if you're to stack Quinn Hughes' season against other D-men in the league, where does Hughes rank? Man, I think you start looking at just the raw numbers for Quinn Hughes. He's eighth in scoring amongst defensemen in the National Hockey League, right? And I think if we're talking about top five defensemen, he may not make that list this season, but that's no slight because look at the years defensemen are having in the National Hockey League this year, yeah. right? I mean, we saw Kale McCarr last night. And Kill McCarr is just an absolutely incredible talent. So similar to Quinn Hughes, but he has that extra, extra dynamic gear to him, right? I will say, though, like one of the things about Quinn that has happened, you outlined how he's getting a lot stronger defensively. But I also think his game is becoming more and more understated in order to become a better two-way player. And I've seen people kind of mention how, oh, you know, Quinn's not quite doing some of the things he did in the past or whatever. Part of it is a lot of the stuff that he does do, like walk the blue line, pick up passes, and he's just so smooth and elegant that people have just 
become normalized to it, right? And they just kind of assume that it's just normal. But really, it's incredible that he's making it look as easy as he, as it is. And I think sometimes the fact that he makes it look so easy is a bit of a detriment as far as how he how he compares to other defensemen. When you look at say Roman Yossi and Kill McCarr and you know Adam Fox, even how some of these guys have played. But I don't think at all he's all that far off. I think without a question, he's easily a top ten defenseman in the National Hockey League. And anybody who tells you he's not a top ten defenseman just it doesn't really know what they're talking about. Uh, he's 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 not even in the top twenty. Sad. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I mean I, I can understand. It's hard to put him in the top five. I mean. We can go through it here, Dan. Like It's an incredible crop of defensemen the National Hockey League has right now. But top 10 is no slight when you look at the group we're talking about here. So, you know, I don't want to base it all on on, uh, on points, but, you know, there there is a lot of people that would say Yossi, Makar, Fox, Hedman uh, are kind of, you know, in, in any top five conversation, mm-hmm. and then you, you start to really get a little bit deeper and and try to find the numbers beyond that and that group of four. But there's a lot of names that you could throw in there. You know, uh, Ekblad, up until his injury, was having an unbelievable season. I think Morgan Riley uh, is more of the one-way offensive defenseman that people seem to make Quinn out to be, while Morgan Riley is more of that. Uh, hasn't developed his defensive game as much as some might expect, but you know he's still that good offensively that it puts him in the top ten scorers amongst defensemen pretty much every single year. I think we saw Moritz Sider over the weekend, or sorry, last week, last Thursday in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and that guy is man, what a tank uh, he is physically, and uh, how good he's been for Detroit this year. Devon Taves has been really good. Uh, he's been, and if you look at some of the underlying numbers, right, they they are very favorable to Devontae. He has been an incredible player for the Colorado Avalanche this year, and uh, if you didn't notice it last night, he was uh, just as every bit as good as pretty much anybody else out there, including Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. But there's a, a long list, and I think there's also some guys, and I always want to bring up Miro Heiskanen in this conversation because he doesn't get enough love. Mm-hmm because yep. he doesn't put up quite the same amount of points that some of these other players do. But it, it's a really good crop of defensemen. And Quinn, I'm with you. It's hard to put him top five right now, but really hard to keep him outside of the top ten. The one thing I really keep looking at with Quinn that's like, you know, how has he been able to do this? And all due respect to Luke Shen. But, you know, this guy a couple of years ago was somebody that people didn't think could play in the league anymore. And a lot of credit goes to him for how much he's adjusted his game. But what other D partner would Luke Shen have to have in order to basically outscore the opponent on the ice by 60%? (laughs) I mean, okay, you, you're so right. I mean, look look at this. Like, between Roman Yossi, Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, Victor Hedman, John Carlson, even Aaron Ekblad, Morgan Riley, Devon Taves, Maurice, like, you know, not maybe not Maurice Sider. Which one of those guys has a worse D partner than Quinn Hughes. And and all due respect to Luke Shen, right? And I'm I'm not trying to say he's bad. He's been he's been terrific for the role he's played. But let's be real here. Yeah. I mean Quinn Hughes uh, you know, it, 
what he's done with Luke Shen. And, and yes, Luke does deserve a lot of credit. But at 5-on-5 five five this year, with Shen on the ice, the Canucks have 32 goals for, 21 against. And we know a ton of his minutes have been played next to Quinn Hughes. So it, I just don't think there's another top-end defenseman in the league that's playing with a guy that most would assess as somebody who tops out as a third-pair D-man in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's just the reality with Luke Shen. And, yeah, some of it is fit. Luke just has an understanding of what he needs to do for that pairing to have success, simplify his game and all of these things. But I think a lot of that does go to Quinn Hughes and how he's been able to um, carry Luke Shen to a certain extent and still have a tremendous amount of success for the team while those two are on the ice. They've they've gone through it a little bit. We talked a couple of weeks ago that they weren't having as much success, but they're starting to find it again. And, you know, it, it just all comes down to Quinn Hughes. That's just one thing he has that other top-end defensemen in this league aren't really doing. Now, Hedman... I guess Hedman does play a lot of minutes with Jan Ruda, and you know it's not like the the Lightning don't have other right shot defensemen to play with with Victor Hedman, but that's just something that's been working for them. Uh, similar to the Luke Shen thing, you know that's that's a guy that probably isn't playing the minutes he is if he's not next to Victor Hedman. So it, it's a really impressive trait that Quinn yeah. Hughes is showing that he can bring up the level of his partner to such a degree that it still allows for his team to have a ton of success. And you're you, you, absolutely. It's his ability to elevate somebody. And it's also a great indication or a great lesson for how important chemistry and how important styles are for D partners. Right. And, you know, when you have a guy that can't stay home and do all those things and doesn't need to go outside of himself, he can be a lot more palatable. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing about Luke Shen. I think he's strong. He's he works hard. Right. And there are a lot of things about him. He's got decent sense and all those sort of things. But the best thing about him and the reason it works is he just doesn't do a lot. It's that scene from Forgetting Sarah Marshall when he's trying to teach him how to snowboard. I mean, sorry, uh, <laughs> surf, right? He's like, you're doing too much. Do less. Don't do much. You know what I mean? You're doing too much. It's yep. like, you got to do more than that. It's, it's kind of like not doing a lot, but at the same time doing enough. And once you get that through your own head a little bit, I guess, that, you know, I think that it shows a lot of maturity, obviously. It, it shows a real good understanding of who you are as a player. And I think that's the biggest part of it. And I know Luke's talked about that in the past, about reinventing himself and figuring out, okay, how can I be successful, even if it's not what I've you know, envisioned when I was drafted in the top 10 as a National Hockey League player and had a big contract at one point. But to be able to have that humility and to be able to take a step back, I think says says the I mean, says so much about Luke Shen as an individual character and, you know, what he's been able to do, but also a lesson into if you can find guys that can mesh, it's not always about having them two high-end guys together always. Yeah, it, it, it can be about, you know, just who works with whom. And uh, I think you definitely see that with Quinn and uh, Luke Shen. Bobby in Richmond, uh, listening live, texting in 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Guys, when we were talking about Quinn as a potential future Norris candidate, who was his D partner again? As Bobby alludes to uh, the one and only Chris Tanev. Yeah, and, and that's Bobby's way of saying, I told you so. You guys are always running defensemen <laughs> out of town here and talking about how bad they are. And look at Chris Tanev now. Look at how much success he's having. And ideally, you know, long term, a guy who fits in with the age range as, as a Chris Tanev type 
is I the ideal partner for Quinn Hughes, right? Yeah, sure, you love to have him with somebody. You're happy to have him with somebody that, you know, he can elevate. Well, how about having somebody he doesn't have to necessarily elevate that both can elevate a little bit, right? And, and really drive play and really crush the matchup. And, you know, that's to me what you have to find long-term. The next Chris Tanev, so to speak. Yeah, that's... Um... That's one where you're going <laughs> to, you might have to take a lot of shots, you know, a lot of throws at the dartboard maybe, but m- maybe something sticks. And uh, that's what you're kind of hoping for in the next little while with Quinn Hughes. Uh, the season, uh, I just wanted to spare a moment. The season Roman Yossi is having. <laughs> it's unreal. He's got 78 points, Sad. He's got more points than JT Miller. He's seventh it's, in the league right now. He's going to break 100 points. Yeah. It, he really is. And I know him and McCarr, like, McCarr might get to, uh, well, it's going to be tough for McCarr to get to 30 goals. He slowed down a little bit. He's on 22 for the year. Um, only 22. Yeah, only 22 for the year. But uh, I feel like with Yossi, uh, especially with that, the, the idea that Nashville, and I know, you know, Duchesne and other guys have bounced back, but, you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we get a defenseman winning the Hart Trophy again in the near future. Like, there's just so many of them right now that are such key parts of their team and the real drivers of their team. Makar, it might be tough because there's so many other stars there on, on Colorado, but, you know, there's enough defensemen in this league now that are putting up huge, gaudy numbers that uh, we may yet again see a defenseman win a Hart Trophy for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I mean, and this should should have just been the natural progression of defensemen, right? Because we've talked so much about, especially the past few years, about you know how these younger guys are coming into the league, but you know how the game is trending and how much more offense is being kind of created from the back end. So this has kind of been something that's been brewing, right? I mean, John Carlson had that massive year a couple of years ago, and there was some talk that maybe he gets close to 100 points. We've seen Brent Burns get over 80 points. So this is kind of been percolating behind the scenes a little quietly right but it's really becoming the era of defensemen in the national hockey league so often when we talk about the best players in the game we're strictly talking about forwards it's hard not to put the com- the defenseman into that conversation now it's uh canuck central coming up colby armstrong is going to join us uh, his take on the best defenseman in the league and practice habits with Sidney Crosby. They've uh, been such a big conversation. Practice habits have been here in Vancouver. We'll get Colby's take on uh, what sets apart the good practice habits from the ones that uh, are just average. That's next on Canuck Central. Okay, when we're out there, I want you to ignore your instincts. I'm going to be your instincts. Kunu will be your instincts. Don't do anything. Don't try to surf. Don't do it. The less you do, the more you do. Canuck Central presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. One of the uh, big moments of last night's game sat was the Pedersen between the legs breakaway chance. Yes. Now, like, I- I'm all for, like, uh, having the confidence to do that kind of thing. But I think what people didn't realize is the only <laughs> – the reason Pedersen went with the move is because – 
he kind of pushed the puck a little too far ahead as mm-hmm. he was trying to evade the check from Kale McCarr. And therefore, he had no other like real play there, or he figured his best play was to try that move. I mean, there's so much about that that whole situation that is mind-boggling to me. Like, I would have preferred, you know, he just figures out a way to to get a more clean shot off. But the fact that, oh my God, I screwed this up. Here's my only opportunity to maybe score this goal, and he pulls that off with Kale McCarr checking him. It's uh, it's kind of bonkers. Well, I mean, if it was anybody but Kale McCarr, they, he probably scores on that move. Yeah, right. Like, you know, because well, McCarr he certainly pulls away from it. the check. Yeah. Right, and you know, and but but the thing is, he's smart. The reason he put the puck forward too is he didn't want to get caught by McCarr, right? He moved faster without the. He, and I don't think he meant to put it as as far ahead as he did, but I think he was trying to put it up and then try to get a shot and get some separation before McCarr can stack his uh, check his stick, right? But a super high level play that some looked at as like, why would you do that? And you're right, you perfect breakdown, Dan. He had no other play than to make that play. It's uh, it, it's kind of incredible how the between the legs move is just happening with so much frequency. I, I think it kind of like hit me when, when Tyler Mott scored the between the legs goal the, earlier this season, you know, just like everybody's going between the legs nowadays. <laughs> Everybody. I mean, when, when Merrick Malik did it, right? Yeah. So when Merrick Malik did it in the shootout, uh, the first year back from the lockout for the Rangers, this is like almost 20 years ago now. Can you believe that? Almost 20 years ago. But anyways, really? when Merrick Malik scored that goal, it set the standard. Like, everybody can do it now. Uh, let's bring in our next guest, uh, who uh, we've seen him do that move a few uh, few times or two. It's uh, Colby Armstrong. What's happening, Colby? How you guys doing? Good to hear you guys. Thanks for having me on. Of course, it's between the legs all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you like? Uh, can you like not believe how uh, how often like that that kind of a play is made now in today's? I feel like Matthew Kachuk tries it uh, three or four or five times a game. Yeah, he's kind of mastered it. Hey, I've seen Zegris try to do it on a pass on a two-on-one. Also, like some of these guys, and just the like creativity of when they use it as well. Like I think. Obviously, the Kachuk overtime against Nashville one-timer to win it from, like, the high slot was pretty amazing. I think that kind of changed the game with it. But he's unbelievable, Matthew Kachuk in and around the net at doing it. It's like it's it's like if he was a video game and you hit triangle, he's doing it every time. And, um, you know, but the creati- creativity of these guys is actually, a, a, like, a really smart play, a really great play and good move. When you're in tight, you need to change the angle. It's a quick way to, you know, get through – your own body and through a defender and change it up on the goaltender. So it's pretty crafty. It works. And some guys better than others. And I think it's just kind of like, I think it's just your mind, right? Like mm-hmm. once you do it or you get comfortable doing it, like it just becomes like an automatic option for you. So it's, it's kind of become more mainstream with guys, you know, just thinking about doing it or, or having it in their arsenal right away to do it. So it's been cool to see it. The one timer from the high slot is disgusting. Like get out of town. Yo, know, I mean th- that's in uh, that's ridiculous. I'm not even sure how that even happens. Hey, like I, I mean, I, 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 I understand you trying it maybe, but in a National Hockey League game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys are getting uh, they're getting pretty creative and pretty crazy. It's been really cool to see kind of how everything's kind of moved a little bit more to, towards you know eye popping stuff that we're starting to see and 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 in game. I mean, it's you know one thing to do it. It's one thing to think about doing it, I think, in certain situations where guys are just that comfortable with being able to, you know, think, like, I'm going to do this right now. Um, you know, so it's it's incredible that that's, like, option number one or two right away, right in their minds, uh, you know, 
when you have the freelance and come up with something that's like, you know, some of these things are the first things they come up with. It's pretty remarkable. It's, uh, and you're not going to take a, you know, punch to the face anytime you, you try something fun like that. Eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You don't have anyone coming after you. Never mind on the other team. I know it's old school, but even on your own team, like I can imagine some guys on your own team, like get it together, man. Why are you doing that? Like you could have scored right there, like figure it out. Or, you know, it's probably not, you know, looked upon as being, you know, the ultimate best option for, for players or, or for guys to try and, you know, high stakes situations, but it, now it is, it's, it's kind of cool. It's, it's, I think it's good for the game though. I think it's entertaining. I think it's fun. And I think, you know, these guys are so skilled that it's not like a terrible option. Now it's not a terrible option just to know, like you can do these things and pull it off and how it works. So um, good on them if they can do it. Yeah, don't tell Torts though, right? I mean, remember the he, he was all over uh, Zegras for the mission. Well, you know what? Like, what are you talking see, about? I can see I can see a little bit of his angle with it because I have an 11 year old, and after the Zegras thing or after some of this stuff, like it, like that's all they do. It's like boys, like get it together here. We're trying to learn how to play hockey, and I, I guess that is like part of it now. Like those kind of things are part of the game now, which is which is crazy. But it's like a it's like a worldwide obsession of of you know, kids to do things like that. And it's always kind of been like that, right? Like you turn on hockey night in Canada, you see something cool that someone did, you tried it. So now it's, you know, advanced to another situation or other plays that guys are doing. That's kind of outside the box thinking. So people are going, what is this? But the kids are still doing the same stuff. They're just copying Mm -hmm. these guys and these guys are doing different things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been cool to see how, you know, how much is taken in by, you know, having kids myself and seeing how much it affects them when seeing these cool moves that are done and how it just changes like, you know, everyday shoot around in practice is now, you know, doing the, doing the lacrosse Michigan, uh, uh, attempt at like all the time. Uh, Colby Armstrong, our guest. So, uh, one, uh, interesting conversation that's kind of stirred up here in, in Vancouver since uh, the new regime with Jim Rutherford and, and Patrick Alvine came in, they've kind of made some comments about, uh, practice habits uh, of the players here and, getting prepared for games. We've seen the Canucks have a lot of bad first periods, especially on, on home ice. Um, curious, like Alvin has specifically mentioned, you know, I'm coming over from Pittsburgh and I watch Sidney Crosby practice every day. So, you know, yeah. may, may, maybe I'm, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, too used to seeing how other teams practice, but you know, just what, what was that difference um, from, you know, team to team where practice habits and I guess culture changed as, as you went from, from different areas. Yeah, well, I think there, I think there definitely is, and I think they're lucky to sit and you know be with the Penguins for as long as they were, and you know not have to worry about that. They really, truly didn't. Like you go to a Pens practice, and you know I've seen Eric Angles, who's been up here, you know, in years previous, following the Habs, and, and gone to a, a Penguins practice and commented at the pace and like how how you know how dialed in it is, and you know it's it's noticeable, and it's I think that's just a culture thing. I think that's set mm-hmm. by you know the core group here and Sid and. You know, the GMs and scouts or anybody don't, they come and watch it. It's just the way it is. It's just, it's the way they do business here. And it's the way it's been here for a long time. So it's kind of just jump on board and jump in and get ready to go. So uh, I can see if you're somewhere and there's, you know, a big drop off or it's just done a little bit differently where you can go, whoa, this isn't like, this isn't what, you know, we expect. This isn't the way it should be. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's cool here, man. It's, uh, you know, living in Pittsburgh, going to, you know, going mm-hmm. to practices and watching them and just the tempo, the pace and, um, you know, seeing how they, they prepare themselves. And it's, you know, it's, 
you, you either you either jump on board or you get left behind type of thing and you know that's the way the big dogs here roll on the ice and the, and the leadership here roll so um yeah it's kind of been it's kind of been set in stone that that's the standard here and and you know maybe they're coming in and going hey this is the standard we need to change that that will affect us you know for the better you know likely in our preparation for games well, and that's something like in Vancouver has been talked about so much, that preparation or lack thereof, at least the, the way Boudreaux has been talking about it. And one thing I kind of wonder is when you've been on a team that's, you know, hasn't had a lot, a lot of success over the past eight years. I mean, since Bo Horvat was drafted, they made the playoffs his first year. He played six games and it was the bubble year they played in the postseason. Is there a possibility that the guys here and, you know, JT played on Tampa before they won cups, of course, but he's been a guy that obviously been working hard that some of these guys just don't know really what that next level is yet. They just have to see it first. Yeah. Like when I think of Canucks and, you know, obviously success and getting to the Stanley cup final, you like the Sedins, you know, you think of like Ryan Kessler, like that guy's a workhorse. Like you say what you want about He's a, the guy's an absolute workhorse, you know, in his preparation. He takes, you know, he's in great shape and a battler on the ice. And, you know, I think, you know, internally there's, there was probably with those older teams, like a standard of preparation and, and being dialed in and being ready to go. So, you know, when you have a turnover of like young guys and you come in and, you know, you're, you're, you're tasked with setting the tone and setting the culture and setting the tempo and, you know, uh, setting the bar and, I think to a degree, it, you're probably right. That if you, it's, you don't know if you don't know it type of thing. And, um, you know, I went to other teams after I left Pittsburgh and Atlanta and different places. And, I, you know, at times I'd go, you know, this is different. Like, we never did this in Pittsburgh. Like, you know, and, and, and to a fault, baby, I said it too often <laughs> to myself. But it was just, you know, when you're used to something and you can see the success is happening or, you know, it works, um, it's kind of different to see it. So I can see where, you know, the new regime has come in and seen seen it and said, "Hey, this is something like we can address right away." I think that's easily fixable, though, don't you guys? Like, I think that's you know easily fixable by a coach bringing in the leadership group, bringing in your big boys, the guys that set the tempo, the guys that guys look up to, the guys that you know expect that example, and um, you, know, you can change that around pretty quick. So it's just you know addressing it and you know bring it to the table for them to see it and and say like, well, "I think we could be better at this." And I think most more often than not most guys are pretty able to adapt and grasp that and want to want to do well so it's something that can you know i think be changed and 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 work for this group because you know you look at the group right like you got a lot of guys like even connor garland like he's come over from arizona and uh they haven't had much success there and you know you got a few pieces here and there and uh you know to bring it all together and get it all on the same page uh, i think can only be best for you know long-term situations as well Colby Armstrong, our guest. Um, it, it's been interesting because the Canucks have won so much under Bruce Boudreaux, but they're still yeah. having like a lot of these like big picture questions about where where the where the team is headed moving forward. And one thing Boudreaux has has kind of brought up um, is is their home record, and that you know maybe they're a little bit too comfortable when when the team is at home. And we saw them you know kind of have some questionable performances last week against Detroit and Calgary and Buffalo and end up losing those games and really put them uh, back behind the, the playoff picture. Can, can it, can you just get too comfortable when, when you're at home doing your home thing and um, be more focused when you're on the road and only have the game to focus on? Yeah, I think that's, that's happening with the Penguins here too, to a degree. I think, you know, when you look at their, they're one of the best teams on, on the road and, 
you know, in the past, they've been really, really good at home. You know, 21-7-5 and five are the Pens on the road. It's like, wow, that's, uh, that's a pretty good, you know, that's a pretty good um, stat line for them for wins. And um, I think, you know, you can correlate it to simplicity, I think, a lot of times when you look at it, at, at uh, being on the road. I think you can correlate it with, you know, it's just business, right? Like there's no distractions when you're just there together. Um, you know, there's a few things that go into it and, um, you know, there's a lot of cliche things that go into it too, but, you know, I always wonder that when I look at things like that, like what the heck is the difference? Cause I was a penalty killer and it's like, we'd have penalty kill meetings and our penalty kill coach would go, you know, at home where, you know, 80 some percent on the road were, you know, high seventies, like we need to be better on the road. It's like, why are we any different? We do the exact same stuff. I don't get it. Like how is this, how is this working? But you know, it's something that kind of hang over you that you got to be better in these situations. So definitely, you know, being aware of it is one thing and, uh, you know, working to improve that. And, you know, I think, you know, your practicing can, can go a long way, but 13, five, uh, 14, 13 and five on home ice for the Canucks isn't going to put you in a, in a good position. You might look back at the end of the year and mm-hmm. go, man, our home ice performance has uh, sunk us a little bit. Well, and you're right. I mean, sometimes it's just one of those things. It just happens to be an odd split on home and versus yeah. the road. But I wonder, as far as when you're at home, you have other things going on. Like mental exhaustion is a real thing, right? Like if you yeah. spend, I mean, like you can only you can only solve so many issues in a day before your mind says, okay, I'm good, or it becomes really slow for you to make decisions. And hockey's all about quick decision making. Is there a process for some players that on home ice, you got to find a way to, I want to say meditate necessarily, but find a way to unplug during the day so you kind of conserve your sharpness for the game yeah and, and i always think it's good too to like change it up right like sometimes you know um i find like you know shocking your brain a little bit you know get outside yourself a bit is is always a good thing to kind of change things up and i know we're all especially in hockey creatures i have it everyone kind of does the same thing and you know the same routines and um you know when you're at home too it's a lot of you know probably couch time and uh, being at your house and when you're on the road, maybe a little bit more together and, you know, team dinners and, and hanging out. And how can you kind of find that when you're at home a little bit more and, and maybe find time to prioritize that a little bit if it, if it works for you guys. So I, I do believe like the mental part of it though, is something that I always said at the end of my career, guys, I was like, man, if I could have just been better at this, this and this, and it was all like mentally, um, you know, being mentally stronger, you know, or, or, being able to shut some things down or have that 10,000 foot view of yourself and go, it's not that bad. Um, is always something good to reflect on and, and kind of keep yourself in check. Um, so I think that's important for the guys to do, but nothing's as tiring mentally as our job. Like there's no way, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, like, get out of town. Like you got to think on your feet, live TV and radio. Like, are you kidding me? At the end of the day, we are wiped, aren't we? It's unbelievable. <laughs> Colby, we got to think about new things to talk about with the Canucks every single day yeah. for two hours. <laughs> yeah, that's like, come on, that's exhausting. I, 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 I don't know how you guys even can make it home. You guys have to get drivers. We got to talk to your boss and get you guys drivers so you guys can just lay in the back and check out. I mean, it's unbelievable. I got to get Alan Walsh to fight battles for me the way he does for Mark yeah. Andre Fleury, oh. you know? <laughs> or all of his guys. I'm just like, we're seeing tweets of like his guys' kids, too. I saw an awesome video clip of Max Pacioretty's kid that he posted the other day. Go and talk shelf. That was pretty cool to see. Uh, so yeah, you're right. You need some good representation. 
Uh, Colby Armstrong, I guess, our, our guest. Uh, can you um, can you believe the season Sid is having though? Like he's yeah. Recently, he's on like a hundred and twenty point pace or something close yeah. to it. I mean, like, uh, is he really thirty five years old? I don't get it. I know, I know, and like all the like like the the windows closed. Like this is it. These guys don't have any more. Split the core group up. I don't know if they're going to get able to get him signed. Uh, but Sid, in particular, I mean, it took him probably two weeks, two weeks and a bit before he had like that pop back in his step, coming back at the mm-hmm. start of the year after his wrist surgery and missing a uh, missing the early part of the season, but. I mean, he's been on an absolute tear, absolute mission lately with his play, physicality, defensive play, face-offs. Like, he's absolutely through the roof right now. And it, I saw, yeah, I saw, like, that that, that uh, on social media today, actually. I think it's 116-point pace he's on right now, it would, would have been. So, um, the year he's putting together, the leadership he has here, and then, you know, leading up to the trade deadline, they're able to get Raquel as well. And it's going to be interesting because – you know, there's so many good teams out east, I think, and everyone kind of beefed up at the top there. Uh, you know, who's who's the favorite, who's the best? I think it's hard to look past, you know, definitely the Florida Panthers. But, um, you know, from Carolina to the Rangers, you know, everyone got a little, a little bit better, and that's in their division too with the Penguins. And, you know, would you put, you know, Sidney Crosby in the playoffs up against some of these beefed-up teams and, and totally count them out against some of these teams that you would assume is better? I, I don't know if I would just because – He's that good. He's that good in the moment. He's been that good this year. So, and I feel like, I also feel like too, like he's kind of just getting ramped up here. Like he has a weird way in the years I've been back here now since being done playing of, you know, understanding like the flows of the season and, you know, when to start cranking it up and when to dial in kind of that identity, when to dial in the team. And he has such a good feel for his own team and like where their game needs to be that he can, he can dictate it almost on his own with his play. And he's just starting to get this engine going here, leading in the playoffs. So it's been, it's been fun to watch him every night and what he's been able to do. He's been on an absolute mission lately. Well, you know, you know, I, I don't root for, you know, anybody to really to win a Stanley cup. I want to see the fans of this city finally get a Stanley cup. Yeah. But at the same time, I kind of want to see Sid win one more before he's done. And, I don't know. Like, I, th- I think he has one more left in him. I- I'm not sure if it's this year, but I mean, look at Pittsburgh. You mentioned they got Ricard Raquel. They didn't give up a ton to get him, really, when you look yeah. at it. And if he clicks, that could be a high-end score. This is a guy who scored 30 goals before. So, yeah. I mean, when I look at some of the other teams and what they did, a lot of teams added depth. They added a legitimate yeah. top-six guy for a team that was playing really well already. Yeah, they had to. I, like, I was sitting in trade deadline there in Toronto, and I was like, come on, Hextall. I'm like, what are, you, what are you waiting for? Like, see, everyone else, like, adding all these guys, you know, and, of course, they're right to the cap, so it's, you know, it's easier said than done, but they, they made something happen. They made something work, and, yeah, they got a they got a top-six guy. They got a definite top-six guy with versatility, left wing, center, right wing. He's kind of bounced all over the place. He had 30 goals previous and, you know, 50-point guy, and, I think you get him in the right spot. Either he, you know, they keep, they moved Russ down to play with Gino. So they broke up kind of that top line. But if you, if you get him with, with, with Gino, or you get him up on that Sid line, maybe on the right side with him and Jake and see how the chemistry kind of works there. And then if you even, you might, you know, get a look at him maybe on the flank as a right hand, right, right, righty on the power play on that side. He has this big lanky, like wrist shot. It's kind of weird. He uses a super long stick, but you know, ability to make plays and score, and his battle level's been awesome in those two games that he's been here. How about this, hey? How about this? They trade for him, too. 
He flies all night long to get here from Anaheim. He plays that night against Columbus. And then he played last night against Buffalo. He has today off. He's got to play the Rangers. Like, did he think he flew to Pittsburgh? Does he think he's in the minors? He's got three games in four nights. Like, it's absolutely welcome to Pittsburgh, Ricard. You're, you're going, like, no time to rest, no practice, nothing, just playing straight games. So, uh, I think he's a good pickup, though. I think they needed him. They had some, you know, quietness to the middle of their lineup for scoring goals, like big chunks of guys that have, haven't gotten it done, you know. So it's it was an important move for them, and they got the I think they got like a real important player that they needed. Uh, it doesn't seem like Mike Sullivan's the guy that would be like that would take well to be like, hey, coach, can you can you leave me out for tonight just to like catch my bearings a bit? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Like, and then you know, Sullivan's like I always explain him too. Like, a, I feel like a guy that kind of gets overlooked for coach of the year a little bit because yeah. you know of his surrounding cast, but you know what he's been able to do this year, at least anyways, through the injuries of key guys and. Um, have them in a position that he has them in, um, you know, after the start of the season and, you know, fighting for, you know, positioning in the playoffs upwards of of the division uh, as well. So it's, he's like the captain of a ship though. He's got like his hands on that big old pirate ship steering wheel, barking out orders. He's got that nice raspy voice that everyone listens type of thing. And, um, you know, a real leader and has a real plan for these guys. So he's had some, you know, great success here with this group and getting to a, a style of play that's successful with the manpower that they have. So yeah, he's, I don't think Sully would be like, are you playing? Like you're playing. Let's go. <laughs> Colby, you're the best. Thanks for this today. All right, boys. Yeah. Enjoy it. What did, what did Miller say the other day? The uh, ballsiest win of the year. I love it. that. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's the, a heck of a player, man. He's been unbelievable. Thanks for this, yeah. uh, Colby. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, there is uh, Colby Armstrong. Just loves J.T. Miller. The ballsiest win of the year. It's uh, yeah. maybe the quote of the year for the Canucks. It, it is one of the quotes of the year. Um, I'm just really surprised and impressed how well you kept it together during that interview, Dan. What are you, what are you talking Cause, about? Because I think your soul was just crushed about two minutes ago. <laughs> I uh, I looked over at my phone and I saw... A bunch of guys in red celebrating a goal. And a bunch of guys in red just happened to be North Macedonia, who beat the reigning European champions, Italy, to kick them out of World Cup qualifying. What happened? Like, I don't even understand. They just won the freaking Euro, Sat. How do you not get to the World Cup after becoming European champions no that's italy because of course they win something they go back they start drinking a bunch of spros having some grappa maybe some biscotti a couple of too many plates of pasta now all of a sudden you put your chance at the world cup unbelievable man it's you know what as much as i'm laughing about this that canada's in italy's out and well, you that's know, my Iran's saving grace this time there. around you know it, at, at least you got canada in but i will say not having italy at the world cup does suck I mean, it's it's one of those things. Right? I mean, you want to see the top nations. Could you imagine Brazil not being in the World Cup or something? I mean, you don't. I mean, you're still going to watch it and be into it, but you still want the powerhouse nations to be in, and it's disappointing. And my biggest question here is, like, who's going to have to pay for this? How do you miss consecutive World Cups? I think uh, the coach who just got a fancy new extension is about to get axed because <laughs> you can't be the coach of the Italian soccer team and not make the World Cup and survive. Uh, Bobo Mancini, see you later. That's uh, it's a tough one. But I'll say this. You know what? Canada's going to clinch maybe tonight, 
maybe when I'm at BMO Field on Sunday, but Canada's going to clinch, and uh, we'll be wearing red and white come uh, World Cup time in November. Uh, it's uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. I'm glad you let me get that out, Sat. I, I really had, had to, to. I had to keep it together when Colby was on. Yeah, I know, and I, I could really, and you know what, you were asking, you were engaged in the conversation, I'm like, part of me was like, I, I can't wait to rip Dan, but the other part of me is like, he's actually very professional right now, I'm kind of <laughs> impressed. Uh, I, I, I'm doing my best. Uh, coming up, John Garrett, Cheech, he joins us every Thursday, it's Canuck Central. Between the legs all day. Canuck Central, this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. John Garrett is going to join us in a few moments. I had a great conversation there with Colby Armstrong. Uh, this from Terry and Mission. Vancouver needs to develop a winning culture. They are getting there, but the last thing the Canucks need is to fall into the black hole of losing that's plagued the Oilers for over a decade. Um, newsflash. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Text inbox is wild <laughs> right now. Canuck, so. Okay, it hasn't been like over 10 years that the Canucks have been a poor team because 10 years ago they were... One of the best teams in the league. Yeah. But uh, we're getting close to, to the decade mark, right? It's oh, It's yeah. been seven years, pretty much, of eight years of mediocrity since uh, since the regime change and everything else that came with it. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of turnover, and there hasn't been a lot of success, right? And, I mean, Rager's texting in. He's so upset. He's like, you're insinuating it's Bo's fault. And it's like, who... What? I mean, we're talking about the, the – okay, the core started with Bo Horvat, right? He's the youngest player of the core guys, right? Mm-hmm. Ever since the clock started for your next era when Bo Horvat started playing in the NHL because ever since he came in, it was can he be part of the future of this organization? So when we start projecting, okay, when he came in and how the other guys have followed in, it's more about – What's the standard been here that these guys have seen? The Sedins for the first year or two, Bo was here. They were high-level players, but then they kind of became role players, secondary guys. They weren't able to push the same way as other guys were able to, right? And ever since Bo Besser came in, he had one year with the Sedins. Pedersen had no years with the Sedins. Quinn Hughes had no years with the Sedins. The Tandev was here, and Markstrom, those guys ended up going. But there was not, not this consistent standard that was set by the very top of your organization through all those years that, that raised the bar for what practice is, what being a professional is. And to me, it's not necessarily even any individual young player's fault. It's more about have you been exposed to an environment that can help you get there? And that's the biggest thing and the biggest failure from the organization has been its inability to get the real standard setters and culture setters put in place. And that's not Jay Beagle. That's not Brandon Sutter. That's not, you know, guys who come in that that play secondary roles. It's about having higher end guys that can do so. The one guy they brought in who was a massive failure was Louis Erickson. If he ends up being a star player that sets a high standard, maybe there's a different conversation about Louis' tenure and what he meant to this group and what he showed those types of guys. But that's the biggest thing that I'm pointing out here organizationally as much as we're pointing the finger at each individual player, what environment have they been have they been exposed to to get the best out of it, to become those guys to set that higher standard? And I think that's part of the discussion. 
And, uh, you know, we saw just a a different team last night. And I think that this speaks to the consistency of the team where, you know, they weren't very good at the end of that homestand. But last night, you say a completely different team. They need to find that more often uh, because there's just been times where they're not getting the most out of the talent that's on this roster. Uh, Let's uh, bring bring in our next guest. It's John Garrett, color analyst for your Vancouver Canucks. What's happening, Cheech? Not much, not much. I was uh, driving down to uh, do this game tonight and uh, listening to you, and I I liked how you led your show off with uh, Quinn used a great penalty killer when he was in the penalty box for two of the five penalties <laughs> last night. And you guys go on and on and on about Quinn. Oh, yeah, but he's in the penalty box. Oh, I mean, in general, though, Cheech, like, yeah, last <laughs> night he had two penalties. Uh, the, uh, the second one was really soft. Uh, and but... Luke Shen, you were all over Luke Shen. And uh, I know Luke, Luke Shen, Shen has his... Oh, I, I really like Luke <laughs> Shen. And I know his skating ability and all those things. But how many times have you seen Quinn Hughes really run this year? How many times has any team really targeted him? Yeah. Physically. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that has to do with you're out there playing with Luke Shen. And you have to – and all those other guys you mentioned, and you were going up and down about 20 defensemen that were all great. And uh, Victor Hedman, what's he, 6'4", 230. Yeah. Uh, Roman Yossi, over 200 pounds. Uh, Haskinen, 200 pounds. Fox, 200 pounds. All the guys that – and then you've got Quinn Hughes. Who is what? Buck eighty. Yeah, soaking great wet. talent, and just uh, I agree with you. He he could be a Norris Trophy winner down the line. Kale McCarr, two hundred pounds, and you need and you say, well, okay, those other guys are. And I agree, Yan Ruta is not a very good defenseman. He's playing with Victor Hedman. Does Victor Hedman need any protection? No, no. But I think the Canucks realize. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we have Luke Shen here, uh, an asset who can play a good, steady game. And when Chris Tanev was playing with Quinn Hughes, the league didn't know him. Yeah. And it was easier for Chris, and uh, taking nothing away from Chris Tanev, who I think is a very, very good defenseman. But nobody physically went after Quinn Hughes because they didn't know what he was like. He, they didn't know what a dominant player and what a driving force he is for the team. And now that that's apparent, uh, I, I think the Canucks are wise to make sure that Luke Shen is out there with Quinn Hughes. Well, and especially for the rest of this year and even heading into next season, if you have something in your back pocket you know works, and when it comes to your cornerstone player like Quinn Hughes, I could understand the reluctance to be like, you know what, let's just move this guy on and we'll try to find somebody else to play with Hughes. And ultimately, long term, yeah, I mean, you know, Shen's going to be 33, 34 when he's a free agent. So at that point, you're going to have to find somebody younger long term anyways. But how much value is there to have some consistency for a D partner for Quinn Hughes for a couple of seasons when he's had a different partner every year? Yeah. I, oh, I agree. I agree. But Quinn is so good. He, he can adapt. Yeah. Uh, and the partner that he has and that's why Luke is very good that's why Chris was so good is that they were really smart enough to adapt to Quinn style whereas I think that was one of the problems with Travis Hamanick who every now and then it looked oh this is a great partner for Quinn used uh, but he just he was so inconsistent with adapting to Quinn style and uh, I think that's one of the reasons Travis didn't work out 
you know, I, I think after the, the, the deadline, um, Patrick Alvin did say a lot of great things about Luke Shen. And, you know, we know that there was interest and they probably could have traded him if they, they had the right offer or one that they felt was, was valuable enough. But, um, I, you're definitely right on this, Cheech. They need players like Shen that bring uh, a level of professionalism and leadership that uh, the new management group has, has kind of harped on a little bit since they've come in. Well, and last night I really liked, uh, and do you expect Oliver Ekman Larson to jump in? No. No, but there he was. Yeah. And he was the closest guy, a veteran player, and he sees Cogliano stick out the leg on Pot Colson. And who jumps in? Okay, there's no punches thrown or anything, but he's there to show that, okay, you don't do that. You don't mess around with our young players. And uh, he was right there. And I thought Oliver Ekman Larson had one of his better games last night. Yeah, I mean, he looks like whatever was ailing him is better now, right? I mean, just from the way he was moving and how on top of the game he was – it was kind of a reminder of, yeah, as much as he struggled recently, there's still a player that we saw earlier this year that showed he can be a legitimate top four defenseman. Even if the money is absurd, he can still play at a high level when he plays the way he did last night. I mean, that's a difference maker. Yeah, and uh, against a very quick team. And I think that's uh, a very good sign uh, that the Canucks played a game like they played last night against a, a very good opponent. And uh, I know it's an objective stat, but giveaways and how many giveaways did they have officially listed for the Canucks last night? Zero. You got it. There it is. <laughs> Zero. That's unbelievable. Yeah, against uh, against that Avs team. Um, I guess it makes you think, like, where where has this performance been more often this year, Cheech? Because now they've put it on paper. It's like, we know you guys can do it, uh, but but you haven't done it often enough. Yeah, uh, I, that's why. It's easy to say after the fact, well, how come they don't do that every game? But uh, you think to last night's game and had the Avalanche scored in the first five minutes, and Yarrow made two or three great saves early, and and then the Canucks started trading chances with them, and uh, neither team could score right away. and uh, It just worked out in five power plays for the Avalanche, and they only got one goal. So... uh, it's easy to say, well, where's that game every every game? But the circumstances change every game. And last night, the Canucks, uh, and a ballsy effort, as JT would say. It was a ballsy effort, right up and down the lineup. One question I have here about Yaro Halak. He played really well, and he's a guy that can get into a rhythm, right? And he's a rhythm type of goaltender. They have a bunch of, they have three back-to-backs to go the rest of the season. What's the chance we see him finish strong here? Uh, I don't. I as he could play back to backs if the coaches <laughs> decide that. I, I, I Thatcher Denko's your goalie. You're trying to make the you look up and down the teams who the goalies have played the most minutes in the league, and the only guy who is on a team that is not right on the bubble, struggling to make the playoffs, is Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah. He's the only goalie, and he's got Brian Elliott as the backup, and obviously John Cooper, and that's a team that uh, most nights Vasilevsky doesn't have to work very hard. His team has the puck most of the time. But you look at the other, the top five, and there's Connor Hellebuck, uh, UC Soros. Uh, they're all teams that are struggling to make the playoffs, and 
that's why Thatcher Demko is going to end up playing as many minutes as he has because the Canucks need their number one goalie in there. Uh, what'd you feel of Pedersen last night? He is he, when he's playing like that. Um, he's just so much more engaged defensively. I think that's when he's at his best. Yeah. He anticipates so well. And, and, uh, he, he's got such a high hockey IQ and, uh, I know that term is thrown around, but with him, you saw it right away. He's a, a skinny guy that, uh, knows where to be and he's got quick hands and, uh, a quick stick, and uh, he anticipates so well that uh, on the Besser goal, just anticipating mm-hmm. the play up the boards and picking it off and throwing it across, and the penalty kill, getting in the middle and uh, creating a breakaway chance, and uh, he's he is just that good. And uh, I know you guys were talking about uh, his penalty killing prowess and and how the team has been so much better, and I think. It is partly due to him, but I, I think the team as a whole has uh, really relied on more guys and been much more mm-hmm. effective than when they were, uh, okay, we've got two sets of forwards and three defensemen that we're going to rotate around every penalty kill, and that just wasn't working. Well, and I wonder how much of that can be credited to some of the work that Brad Shaw has done on the PK, right? And, you know, I know he, when he was on with us a few weeks back, he mentioned a lot of these guys have been hearing different voices. You know, first it was Nolan Baumgartner, then Walker came in, then he had been, has been dealing with his issues and couldn't be with the team. So Brad Shaw took over. And he's a guy that it seems like since Boudreaux took over has had a bit more influence here. How much of, I know we, we, we credit Boudreaux a lot for the way this team has progressed and improved in a lot of ways, but on the PK, how much of that can, could we attribute to some of those supporting staff guys like Brad Shaw? Uh, I think Brad, uh, because he came in and wasn't part of the group, uh, he was added and uh, he wasn't mm-hmm. in with Travis and, and yeah. Bomber. And uh, I, I think it took him a little while to assert himself and uh, once Bruce came in then not only was it a fresh start for the players but it was a fresh start for the coaches who were still here and I think uh, Bruce his personality and I've known Bruce for oh god what is it now 40 years and uh, he's the same way as he was then he was the same way as he was when a kid just coming out of the Marlies he's emotional uh, gets involved in the game. He, he, he lives, breathes, and dies hockey. And uh, his sometimes he, he gets himself in trouble when uh, he, he's so honest. And I think that's one of the things. If you're a coach and you say, now all of a sudden you got a new voice and, and he's giving everybody a clean slate and everybody gets an opportunity to do different things. And uh, I think Brad realized that, okay, it was – uh, clean slate for him too and he was starting at the same place as as Bruce and and Scott Walker and and the coaches coming in Brad was starting fresh too and I and I think that's why he was able to uh, take charge and uh, especially with Scott Walker suffering from his blow to the head and the resulting injury uh, but it's good to see him back he's behind the bench uh, John Garrett, our guest. Uh, you know, one player that got uh, a lot of buzz in the lead up to the deadline was was Tanner Pearson because uh, anytime Canucks fans can trade away Tanner Pearson, they they really enjoy that. It seems, but 
I feel like his game and even last night, uh, Cheech, he does so many things really, really well that just kind of go unnoticed by by many. He's been he's been so good. Like even on that empty netter, the only reason Bo gets sprung for that goal is it's because of the play Tanner Pearson makes. Yeah, and uh, when T when a line was struggling earlier in the season, and uh, then when Bruce took over too, uh, what did he do? He put Tanner Pearson on the line. And he makes the guys he plays with better. He's so reliable, and he and JT now have uh, that chemistry that veteran players get and, uh, because they have confidence in what the other guy is going to do. And uh, JT knows if it goes around Tanner's side, he can break. He can go because Tanner will get it out. And uh, he's so reliable. And that two-on-one last night, it, it was just a... He didn't have a pass across, and so what do you do? Shoot, hit the goalie, and and you know JT's going to the net, and JT gets the goal. And uh, I'm a big Tanner Pearson fan, and I I think he's a bargain. Well, especially with how he's been playing, you know, as that two-way game, right, or at least defensively, too. And when I look at the future of this team and how they want to play, and I think the big question is, you know, around Boudreaux as well, because, you know, next year is an option year. But when I look at long-term how this team wants to play, and, hey, I'm all for trading somebody to get the right deal back, but I can see a world if Boudreaux's here that he kind of fits in with how they want to play, and especially being that type of guy that can ensure to get the puck deep right and be really good along the boards and win those battles and you really need those types of guys if you want to play a type of offense that is really down low a lot right and cycling behind the net you kind of need to have guys like Pearson if that's how you want to play well and reliable uh, and winners uh, guys who have been through it before and I, I think that's one of the things that it's hard to get it's hard to get uh, that kind of Stanley Cup experience that you get with Tanner Pearson why do you think uh, the Calgary Flames went out and got Lewis? Uh, you get guys with Stanley Cup experience. And even though some of them might be getting a little older and towards the end, it's irreplaceable to have the guys who have been through it. Uh, before we let you go, Cheech, how do you feel about cheeseburger pizzas? I'm not a big fan because they always throw onions on them. If you get the cheeseburger pizza and you just have uh, the beef and bacon on it and cheese, naturally extra cheese. But yeah. uh, people just want to throw too much stuff and then they get onions and lettuce and all. Do you serve lettuce on pizza? No. Thank you. <laughs> you still dunking it in the ketchup though, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cheech, you're the best. Thanks for this as always. Okay, thank you. Uh, there is uh, John Garrett. He's in for cheeseburger pizza. He's in for anything with 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 ketchup, pizza. I mean, yeah, and it's not a joke. You know, they're talking that he always talks about having burger and fries. Like literally, the man's diet is burger, fries, and pizza and ketchup and stuff. It's 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 unreal. He gets a lot of steps in though, so you know, <laughs> yes, you, you got to yeah. balance it somehow. Always hustling. Um, I I will say though, like I know people think of me as a pizza snob. I I have had a cheeseburger pizza in the past. In, wait, what? You had a cheeseburger pizza? I've tried it. Didn't mean I loved it, but I've I've had it. Oh, so you tr- so you tried a cheeseburger pizza, but mm-hmm. you will not have a pizza with pineapple on it. I, I can't do the pineapple on pizza thing, man. I can't. Uh, <laughs> but you have a cheeseburger pizza. Makes sense. I mean, so this is this is this isn't about like you know the sanctity of pizza. 
Right? No, it's not it's about just... the sanctity. It's just like, I don't like pineapple. I don't want to have it on pizza. Like, but it's not about like, I don't want to hear you say like, you can't make pizza, put pineapple on it. The man has eaten <laughs> a cheeseburger pizza. But this is the thing, like uh, cheeseburger pizza, especially like as Cheech says, without onion, is, you know, it's, it's not too dissimilar from uh, uh, another pizza you may have with uh, some kind of... Uh, bacon or beef on it, and uh, and a little bit of cheese. You know, it's just like it's straight beef crumble, maybe some bacon bits, and and a heavy dose of cheddar cheese. It's not not, yeah. not my favorite. I'm just saying I've tried it. Just saying I've tried it. And I was hope... it processed cheese? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. No, no, man. It's from like one of the big pizza chains, you know. And you're like, I'm, that's even worse. Kind of hungry. This is what they've got here, so I'm. I'm so, like, you could have just got a plain, like, pepperoni? It was like a party event, you know, and that's what they had. <laughs> they only had the cheese. Cheeseburger pizza for big parties. If, if you're ordering pizza for 10 or more people, it has to be the cheeseburger pizza. <laughs> I mean, if I'm, you know, anyways. It's, uh, I didn't say it was a proud moment. I'm just saying I've tried it, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, there are many proud Italian moments for you right now anyways. <laughs> Hey, you have the euro, okay? <sighs> How sweet! Uh, How Sweden do it? It's a great cheech drop, unbelievable. It's it's so good. Sweet Sweden's, I think uh, they, uh, I think they beat Czechoslovakia. I think did they? They're up yeah. one nothing on, yeah, on the Czechs. Did. Yeah, I mean there was nil nil late, and I think they got a late goal. So I think Sweden's going to find a way to get in. I guess they'll play Wales. Yeah, I like Sweden versus Wales. Unbelievable can't believe north macedonia of all the things um, of all the of all the countries in Nokia. i mean but north macedonia i mean they're fine but they didn't right? even have like gordon pondev sat i know this yeah, is like true. way too deep for uh Canuck no, central topics but um <laughs> i'm trying to make you feel better when i can't uh gordon pondev is basically uh who would be a comp for gordon pondev Goran Pondev. Ooh, would he be like Chikrin on the Coyotes? <laughs> no, no. It'd have to be like a really old forward. That's still kind of good. Oh, okay. Like Phil Kessel like, on the Coyotes? Yeah, maybe Kessel. Yeah, that's probably uh, yeah. a good one. Yeah. Late, late, uh, <laughs> like late career Jerome McGinley or something like that. Uh, right. Pondev's not a Hall of Famer. Anyways, uh, it's uh, Canuck Central, Dan Riccio and Satyar. Shaw, we'll get you more ready for the Canucks and Minnesota Wild next on Sportsnet 650. Lettuce on pizza? No.